Acts chapter 1. The first chapter of Acts. How do you feel about waiting? Waiting is not something that we are naturally desirous to do, is it? For the most part, in most cases, we would rather not wait. We live in what we sometimes refer to as the fast food culture, microwave culture, right? We want it quick, we want it now, not later. It seems if we have to wait for very long for anything that it's easy to get frustrated. And I'm, I'm there with you. I don't like waiting. I love the advent of mobile ordering. I do. Until I get in the line at a drive-thru and it's clear that the people in front of me don't know what mobile ordering is. Because they have to place their order and then wait because, you know, it's not already being made. And I'm like, come on, order ahead so you don't hold me up. I, I enjoy doing online ordering a lot. Uh, if there are goods or whatever that, that we want to purchase or that we need to purchase, I love to shop around, find a great deal. That just appeals to me, save a little money or still spend money, however you want to look at that. But I like to try to find a good deal, save some money, and if you can get it to me quick free shipping, that's awesome. But I'm also the kind of person who wonders why three hours I have after I've placed the order, you haven't shipped it yet. Like, what takes so long? You know, just checking over and over again. Is it here? And then when it's not here, when it's supposed to be. That's a problem. Waiting. It's not something that we enjoy doing. Acts chapter 1 is a transitional time. Some look at the entire book of Acts as a transitional period following the work of Jesus here in the world, his ascension and the establishment of the New Testament church. But in particular, chapter 1 is transitionary. Jesus took his disciples after he had met them in Galilee. From there, he would ascend to heaven. And you know how Acts 1 opens. Luke introduces himself again to Theophilus, whom he's writing to. He shares the account of Jesus meeting his disciples there on Galilee, on, in Galilee on top of the mount. And he's going to ascend to heaven. He tells them that they'll be his witnesses. Don't worry about when the kingdom is going to come, leave that in God's hands. You just concern yourself with being my witnesses in the world and spreading the gospel all over creation. And then he ascends to heaven. What do the disciples do? What, what are they doing when Jesus ascends to heaven? They're just standing there gazing up into heaven. And... God, of course, knew all this was going to happen. It wasn't a surprise to him or anything, but it's kind of one of those situations where you just picture the disciples literally standing there staring up into heaven. 
and they're just continuing to stare up into heaven. Are they amazed that he, what they just saw? Are they wondering, okay, are you coming back now? Like, and so God sends an angel to say, hey guys, go on. <laughs> He'll come back someday, but that's not your concern anymore. Go do what he said to do. And then they return to Jerusalem, and what do they do? They wait. They wait. What was it that Jesus promised his disciples would come? Do you remember? His Holy Spirit. He had commanded them to go and to wait for the promise of the Spirit. He says in verse number 4, that they should not depart from Jerusalem, but wait for the promise of the Spirit, which saith he, ye have heard of me. And so they go back to Jerusalem, and they're waiting. They're waiting. But what were they to do in the meantime? What do you do in the waiting? Have you ever found yourself in a situation where you are waiting on God? Maybe you're in a transitional period of life and you're wondering, what does God want me to do next? Maybe you have a decision to make and you truly want to make the decision that God wants you to make. And so you're asking him for wisdom. You're asking him for direction. You're asking him for help. And you're waiting. Maybe it's something that you have been praying for for a long period of time for God to do something for God to move in a particular way, for God to draw that person to himself either for salvation or for restoration and you're praying and praying and praying about that situation and while you're praying you're also what? waiting The disciples went back to Jerusalem anticipating the coming of another comforter, the Holy Spirit, who had been promised. But right now, they're waiting. And according to the majority of biblical timelines, you do find some variance among the scholars, but according to the majority, it was approximately 10 days from the ascension to Pentecost. And so what Acts chapter 1 covers in a few short verses, we can read it in 30 seconds. So you might get the impression they returned to Jerusalem and 30 seconds later the Holy Spirit shows up. That wasn't the way it happened. They went back to Jerusalem to the upper room. Hour after hour passed. Day after day, they're waiting. If we step back in time just a bit, we find the disciples waiting after Jesus' resurrection. He's appeared to them. He's given them some specific commands. In fact, he had told them to go from Jerusalem to Galilee where he would see them again. And we find them waiting there. And we see some of the ways in which they were waiting. In John 21, for example, Peter told the other disciples, I go fishing. I'm going to go fishing. Why he did that, we, we can't be certain, but that was how he was waiting then. I'm going to go fishing. Waiting can be hard. But listen to me carefully. The waiting does not need to be pointless. 
Waiting can be hard, but it doesn't need to be pointless. In these few verses of Acts chapter 1 that I want us to look at tonight, the scripture identifies the characteristics of their waiting here. Characteristics that are important for us to learn from. Because we don't need to experience pointless waiting. But rather we can experience purposeful waiting. Acts chapter 1, look at verse 12. Then returned they unto Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is from Jerusalem a Sabbath day's journey. And when they were come in, they went up into an upper room where abode both Peter and James and John and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James, the son of Alphaeus and Simon Zelotes and Judas, the brother of James. These all continued with one accord in prayer and supplication with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brethren. Now, as we look at Acts chapter 1, I see a lot of similarities between the disciples and us today. What were the disciples doing there in that room? Waiting. Waiting for what? The fulfillment of Jesus' promise for the Holy Spirit to come. We're waiting too, aren't we? We're waiting for the fulfillment of a promise, aren't we? They were waiting for the Holy Spirit. That's not what we're waiting for, but we're waiting for a promise to be fulfilled. The promise of Jesus' return. Titus chapter 2, verses 11 through 14. Uh, Paul records for us, For the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world. Verse 13, looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior Jesus Christ who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from all iniquity and purify unto himself a peculiar people zealous of good works. So they were waiting for the fulfillment of God's promise. So today, right where you and I live, we are waiting for the fulfillment of God's promise. We are waiting for the return of Jesus. Is that waiting to be pointless? Is that waiting to be unuseful? In Luke chapter 19, Jesus, as he shared a parable with those who followed him during his time in the world, he gave a clear picture of what his followers are to do while they are waiting. Luke 19, verse 12, the parable opens. He said, therefore, a certain nobleman went into a far country to receive for himself a kingdom and to return. And he called his ten servants and delivered them ten pounds and said unto them, what? Occupy till I come. Now, friends, occupy does not mean to sit and wait. Occupy means to be useful, to be serving, to be working, to be ministering, to use time and opportunity well. 
And so while we're waiting for the fulfillment of God's promise, it does not need to be pointless, but it can be purposeful. Whether it's simply waiting for the Lord to return, to fulfill that promise, whether it's waiting on God to move and direct in a certain way, whether it's waiting on God to answer that prayer, there are things that you and I can do to make the waiting purposeful. Let me show you some from the text tonight. Number one, very simple things. Number one, practice obedience. Practice obedience. Again, if you look at verse 12, the Bible tells us that they returned to Jerusalem. Where were the disciples at the time of the resurrection? In Jerusalem, right? And Jesus appeared to them there. In appearing to them there in Jerusalem, he told them, go to Galilee, and I'll see you again there. They went to Galilee, as I said, while they were waiting. Who knows all that they did? We know in John 21, Peter said, I'm going fishing, and some went with him, and Jesus appeared to them there on the shore of the Sea of Galilee. But now he takes them up into the mountain. He's going to leave them. He told them to go from Jerusalem to Galilee. Now they're to go back to Jerusalem. Verses 4 and 5, we read verse 4, now verse 5. For John truly baptized you with water, but ye shall be baptized with the Holy Ghost not many days hence. And he had told them in verse 4 that they weren't to depart from Jerusalem until that happened. Why? Verse 8, ye shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you. And you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost part of the earth. So go back to Jerusalem. Wait till the Holy Spirit comes and you have that power from God to go out and do what I've said to do. And so what did they do? Verse 12. They returned to Jerusalem. Luke's gospel tells us similarly in chapter 24, verse 52, and they worshipped him. This is Jesus ascended. And, and Luke tells us that after Jesus ascended into heaven, they spent time there on the mountain worshiping him. And then it ends, and returned to Jerusalem, get this, with great joy. Jesus had come. He had fulfilled his work. As he's dead lying in the tomb, the disciples are fearful. They're anxious. They're worried. Jesus rises to life. And they are encouraged. Jesus meets with them. He, he gives them his commission, takes them, and they meet him in Galilee. He ascends. They worship him. He sends them back to Jerusalem, and they return with great joy. Simply, they returned and they waited as Jesus told them to. They obeyed with joy. And they obeyed, though he was no longer present with them. What do you do in the waiting? There are times of waiting on the Lord. We're waiting for the fulfillment of that promise, looking for the blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. The New Testament commands us several times watch and be sober, to watch unto the end, be looking for the return of Christ. But should we, like the disciples, just be standing, gazing up into heaven? No, occupy till I come. 
while we're waiting, we should be working, practicing obedience. Number two, not only practice obedience in the waiting, but practice unity. Look at the passage again. The first phrase of verse number 14 is a common and important phrase throughout the book of Acts. Look at the beginning of verse 14. Read it with me, would you? These all continued with one accord. These all continued with one accord. The Bible indicates to us that in this room, in this place, there were about 120 followers of Jesus. They were a variety of people from a variety of backgrounds. We have the 11 remaining disciples. Of course, Judas Iscariot is no longer there. The Bible tells us that there are unnamed women present there who followed Jesus. I, I, would, I would guess that Mary and Martha were among them. That Mary Magdalene was among them. That that sinful woman who had washed Jesus' feet and dried them with her hair was among them. Mary, Jesus' mother, was there. And so were some of his brethren. A variety of people from a variety of places, other unidentified followers, what did they do together? These all continued with one accord. The phrase literally means with one mind. This word is used 12 times in the New Testament, 11 times. It's here in the book of Acts. And six of those 11 times, it's used within the context of the church, always connected with the activities of worship and prayer. They continued with one accord. In unity with one mind, they worshiped the Lord. In unity with one mind, they prayed to the Lord. In the early days of the church, they were single-minded. They had a sole, singular focus and attention of their fellowship, which was on the risen Lord Jesus. They prayed and they stood together. They worshiped together. They waited for the promise together so that they could go out and witness together. This is an amazing change, isn't it? Because even while Jesus was here with them, we don't find the disciples acting that way, do we? Many times. They're busy arguing among themselves, aren't they? James and John's mother comes to Jesus and says, Oh, make me a promise that James and John will have the positions of highest authority in your kingdom. And the Bible tells us the other disciples were angry at James and John. Even as they're sitting around at the table, what we call the Last Supper, they were having a conversation. Were they talking about all their dreams of the great things they would do for the Lord? No, what were they talking about? Do you remember? Which of us is going to be the greatest? I've told you before, I'm pretty sure it wasn't that they were arguing. Peter was saying, oh, John, you will be, and here's why. No! They were each nominating themselves, weren't they? 
Not anymore. There's some transformed people in that room. Changed people. They're not arguing about who, who would be the greatest in the kingdom of God. You know what else they're not talking about? They're not in that upper room discussing who denied him. Isn't that an amazing thing? Well, well, so-and-so failed so badly. They, they denied so badly. They, they rejected him so badly. They're not doing that. We, we don't find them in that upper room discussing these things about themselves. They were able to continue in fellowship. They were able to be in unity. They were able to be of singular focus in mind. Why? Because they were not focused on themselves or their differences, but they were focused on the resurrected Savior. How can we, as God's people in the waiting 2,000 years removed, continue in unity in one accord of singular mind and focus. I'll tell you how. It's not by focusing on ourselves and our differences, but in focusing on the resurrected Jesus. That is how we can remain in unity, and we absolutely need it today. Do you know that the Acts... In your Bibles, like mine, it's probably called the Acts of the Apostles, and that's an unfortunate title because it's not the Acts of the Apostles. It's the Acts of Jesus through the church. Luke, as we know, wrote Acts, and we're looking through the book of Luke on Sunday mornings. Here he opens Acts by, by telling Theophilus, that the former treatise, Luke, he wrote to show all that Jesus, what? Began both to do and teach. Why did he say began to do and teach? Because he shared all the way through Jesus' resurrection and ascension in Luke. I'll tell you why. Because the ascension wasn't the end of his work. Jesus was still at work throughout the book of Acts. And friends, I would submit to you that he continues to be at work today. Acts is the continuing story of Jesus. And it didn't end with Acts 28, whatever the last verse of Acts 28 is. It continues to this day. And God wants you and I to be a part of that story. God wants you and I to be a part of the continuing story of Jesus, but to effectively be part of his continuing story, we need unity. We need unity. We need to set aside our differences and the focus on ourselves to focus on Jesus. We can't effectively be a part of his continuing story by focusing on ourselves, being full of ourselves. We cannot effectively participate in his continuing story if we are focused on judging others. We cannot effectively be a part of his continuing story if we get caught up caught up with petty complaints and criticisms of decisions and actions of others we cannot effectively participate in his continuing story if we are more consumed with our preferential styles than we are simply being sold out in worship to Jesus let's stop focusing on ourselves and our differences, and instead focus on the resurrected Jesus.
in the Old Testament. The 133rd Psalm says this. It's just three verses long. Behold how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. It is like the precious ointment upon the head that ran down upon the beard, even Aaron's beard that went down to the skirts of his garments, as the dew of Hermon and as the dew that descended upon the mountains of Zion. For there the Lord commanded the blessing, even life forevermore. And you may wonder, what is the psalmist getting at here? He's referencing back to the establishment of the priesthood. How when, when Moses established Aaron as the first high priest, he was anointed with oil. Throughout the word of God, the anointing of oil is a portrait of the filling of the Holy Spirit. The ministry of the Holy Spirit in and through the people of God. And in Psalm 133, what we find is three applications regarding the Holy Spirit in our lives. First, we're regenerated by the Spirit. When you trust Jesus Christ as your Savior, the Spirit of God gives you new life. We're anointed by the Spirit. We have what the Bible calls a fresh oil of anointing. In Hebrews, it talks about Jesus who was anointed with the oil of gladness above his fellows. That is a picture of the Holy Spirit's filling of Jesus. You and I have that privilege of being indwelt by and filled with the Spirit of God. And we are refreshed by the Spirit. Paul talks about in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, though our outer man perish, yet our inner man is renewed day by day by day. And it is that Spirit of God living in us, working through us, that enables us to put aside our petty differences to stop focusing on ourselves and lift our focus to the resurrected Jesus. So rather than the differences, let's experience unity from God as we focus on Jesus. In the waiting, practice unity. And then thirdly, verse 14 of our text, in the waiting, practice prayer. That was a clear demonstration, an application of the unity among the believers. These all continued, verse 14, with one accord in prayer and supplication. Prayer is a general term used throughout the New Testament for just crying out to God, talking to God, asking from God. Supplication in this text identifies a desperation or earnestness in prayer. Praying with urgency. It's what James talks about when he says the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. I've asked you before, if our prayer lives were measured by our fervency, or let's flip it around, if God were measured by the fervency and bigness of our prayer lives, how big or how small would our God be? As believers in and followers of Jesus Christ, we are to be a prayerful people. Jesus promised this in Matthew 18, 19, and 20. Again, I say unto you, 
that if two of you shall agree on earth as touching anything that, that, shall, that they shall ask, it shall be done for them of my Father which is in heaven. For where two or three are gathered together in my name, there am I in the midst of them. We like to use that verse, don't we? Two or three are gathered together, Jesus is there. We like to use that verse and say it about meeting together for worship and, and different things, fellowship. If two or three of us are together, Jesus is there. Certainly that application is true, but what was the context? The direct context was the context, if you will, of prayer meeting. Getting together to pray, to pray out to God, to ask God in fervency, urgency, earnestness, for God's work to be done. We should be a prayerful people. Individually. Day by day in our lives. We should be a people of prayer. People who are praying faithfully. People who are praying fervently. People who are praying bigly. For God to move and work. We should corporately be a people of prayer. Prayer should have a place of prominence in the life of our ministry, of our community. As we're waiting, we should be praying. Whether that's we're waiting for his promise to return, we're waiting for God to give direction or move in, in our lives, for God to do something, and you might say, Pastor, I've been praying. I, I, I have faithfully praying for that move of God keep praying and remember these two very important truths as you practice obedience practice unity and practice prayer while you're waiting God is working waiting is never pointless it is always purposeful you may not always see it. You may not always sense it. But while you're waiting, God is working. And then, remember this truth. While you're waiting, you are growing. You're growing. Can I ask you, how many of you do any gardening or planting of any kind? I don't know what kind of things you plant, but if I understand how it works for the, for the most part, you don't go and plant a seed, be it a vegetable or a fruit or a plant or a flower of any kind. You don't go and plant that seed and then stand there and 30 seconds later that flower pops out of the ground or that vegetable grows and ripens, Right? It doesn't happen that way. But let me ask you this question. When you put that seed into the soil, and you cover it, and you feed it, you water it, even though you don't see it, is growth happening? Yes. Can I encourage you tonight? Maybe you're in a waiting period. It, you've been waiting for a while. Maybe you've begun to wonder what, if anything, God is doing 
in the waiting, God is working. And in the waiting, you are growing. While you're waiting, don't look at it as pointless, it is purposeful. Practice obedience. Continue obeying what you know God wants you to do. Practice unity. Be a part of a community of believers with a sole focus on the resurrected Savior. Be praying. While you're waiting, God is working and you are growing. It is purposeful.